What makes the Internet work? Most people have a vague sense, if that, of what goes on behind the curtain. Bits and bytes whooshing around somewhere, like in an IBM commercial or Tron. Like a lot of infrastructure, its workings are largely hidden beneath the surface and thus easily taken for granted. The plumbing works, the lights go on, and I can download a cat video, so I'm good. The reality isn't all that complicated. It's an example of elegant simplicity and minimalism, crafted and honed by pioneering and forward-thinking technical experts in t-shirts and sandals. The foundation for all that, what makes it possible, has its roots in a 30-year-old document that specifies a lightweight but powerful regime that laid the seeds for a radical transformation of many aspects of contemporary life. A document that changed the world, RFC 791, the Internet Protocol, a standard edited by John Postel based on the work of Robert Kahn and Vinton Cerf. 1981. Many news stories got written about the 40th anniversary of the Internet and the 20th anniversary of the World Wide Web, but somehow the 30th anniversary of this got missed. I can tell you why. It's very technical and makes pretty turgid reading. Much of its 45 pages is the equivalent of typewriter art diagrams specifying how the guts of the Internet work. Yes, it's true, in October of 1969, the first message of sorts went from one computer to another via a network, and yes, there are other milestones and standards you could point to as important, but TCP/IP gives it structure and makes it work, and that all started here. TCP/IP stands for the Transfer Control Protocol slash Internet Protocol, and its roots go back to those early days and the search for a way to link computers to share data. Initially, that was intended for things like moving files around and logging into computers remotely to make using them more efficient back when computing power and time were precious commodities. Under these protocols, the Internet is a network connecting networks, and it does very little except pass stuff around unchanged and unexamined. That's really the genius of this, that the Internet does about as little as possible, and there's no specific hardware or software required to be a part of it. This simplicity makes it easy to implement, subscribe to, and maintain, which is part of its incredible success. What it does is called packet switching. When any file or message is sent across the Internet, it's divided up into lots of smaller chunks or packets, each of which can take separate paths through the network to the destination where they're reassembled. Each of those chunks takes the most efficient path at that instant, which means it could go anywhere in the network. That improves performance and speed. It doesn't matter what the sender or receiver are, where they are, or who they are. So long as they both subscribe to the TCP IP protocols, the message will go through and everybody's happy. Once you have this base layer of networking where stuff moves around, lots of much more interesting things can use it, taking all that for granted. Things like email, for example, or timekeeping, or the maintenance of the domain name service that lets everything be found. Oh yeah, and the web. That's one of a bunch of applications that ride on top of TCP IP like a Honda on an interstate without the faintest notion of what goes into keeping the road working. That's 
by the way, why a full web address includes that HTTP colon slash slash business. There's over a dozen more of those that work on top of TCP IP. The document itself is one of a long series of several thousand RFCs, requests for comment, which tells us something about the people involved in this kind of work. Collaborative, open, often operating by consensus, coming to a shared understanding and agreement. There is a formal approval process for RFCs described in something called the DAO of IETF, the Internet Engineering Task Force, which also helpfully lays out the preferred meeting dress code of t-shirts and sandals. It's both charming and a little icky that John Postel, the longtime editor, had his obituary sent out as RFC 2468. This internet thing seems likely to be around for a while, and it's affected most parts of daily life, as I said, so let me focus on one you might not have thought much about. Disintermediation. Remember Napster? Copyright infringement notwithstanding, it's a great example of a peer-to-peer -peer system. Anybody could download music files from anybody else on the network. Handy, and you don't need a recording company or record store to make that work. Which is great, unless you're a recording company or a record store. Substitute movie or book or any other format in there and you see what happens. In a peer-to-peer -peer world, like the internet, what's the middle for? And for that matter, what's the middle? And yet, the world is tough for booksellers and record stores, but Amazon and iTunes are thriving. So is the App Store, and Google Play, and Netflix, and Kayak, and Angie's List, and a range of other intermediaries and advice givers ready and willing to help out in the networked age. So it seems that even if you cut out the middlemen, that middle keeps re-emerging. One more curiosity about the RFC document itself. It betrays the technology of its time in its formatting. These are laid out in pages, obviously trying to replicate the look and feel of the typed pages of the early days, spaced out with blank lines, in many cases fully blank pages between page numbers. It seems strange, even retrograde, to 21st century eyes used to PDF documents or web pages that don't rely on, well, pages. Meanwhile, the technology it laid out has liberated information of all types from its containers, potentially forever.